With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. What's going on? And welcome into a game day edition of the Pelican Podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson alongside my co-host Jim Iconoffer of Pelicans.com. Happy game day. The Pelicans welcome in the Denver Nuggets. Start of a home-home back-to-back is the next day, or tomorrow, I should say. They'll welcome in the Boston Celtics. Joining us today, a very special guest, a first-timer here on the Pelicans podcast, Keith Smith. You can follow him on Twitter, at KeithSmithNBA, contributor to Celtics blog. We'll get into the Celtics in a little bit. Also, part of the front office show, formerly of Yahoo Sports. Keith, I really appreciate the time. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And I kind of wanted to start with the Pelicans here, because, again, you cover the entire NBA I see you tweet all the time about all 30 teams. So it's not like you don't have any knowledge on uh, most of these teams, but I want to talk about the Pelicans a little bit. What have you seen from them from afar? Cause I know, again, it's tough to focus really in on every single one of them, but from what you've been able to watch, what have you seen from the Pelicans this season? Yeah, I think they've had a, I guess, admirable season is the way to put it, considering all the things that have gone on with them not having Zion Williamson all year, uh, obviously a massive blow. And whatever you had planned uh, for your roster was clearly going to be very Zion-centric around him. And then when you get to this position and you don't have him, that makes everything else that much more difficult to, to, to put together. But they've gone through it now. They've gone through injuries and illnesses and COVID related absences, like all every team has this year. But I think they're, they're finally hitting their ground when they have their new normal, I guess, starting group together. uh, There actually seem to be doing quite well. I think uh, Brandon Ingram has had another all-star caliber season. Jonas Valanciunas has played extremely well. I think he's uh, proven to be a good fit. And then Herb Jones, uh, maybe the surprise rookie of the entire NBA this year with how well he's played. So I like a lot of their pieces and I think, you know, maybe a little bit better luck in the first half of the season. And you might have a team that's, you know, fighting for a playoff spot versus uh, maybe trying to do some catch up in the play in uh, race. How much does that fall on head coach Willie Green? This is a guy that's in his first year as a head coach anywhere. Um, Had great two assistant coaching jobs with Steve Kerr and Golden State and Monty Williams with Phoenix. But what does it say about Coach Green, the fact that you are without your best player for this entire season? You've had guys that have had to play in in different roles. And I know the record doesn't really speak about where they are in the race, but the fact that they are just within a game and a half, I feel like that has to say something about what he's been able to do. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think he's got them playing really hard uh, night in and night out. And that that's a skill that uh, I know that seems like maybe the easiest thing to do. And everybody who ever played high school basketball would like to tell you, oh, my coach you know, told us all you have to do is play hard. But it, you know, that's playing 15, 20 games. Then this is 80 games a season. And uh, a lot of these guys doing a lot in the off seasons and the like. And, and that, that's, that's huge to have them come in and really get after it night in, night out. And again, without really kind of knowing, it feels like uh, from afar, game to game, who your rotation guys may be available. It seems like it's doing a lot of it on the fly, but it's plugging guys in and asking them to do things and going. And then I think it's putting a faith and trust in a handful of these younger players and saying, Hey, I can put you in and you you're going to deliver for me. And I feel pretty good about that. Before I get, let Jim uh, ask some questions here. I want to go back to Herbert Jones. You talk about one of the surprises out of the rookie class. I think that's a pretty accurate statement just based on where he landed in the draft at pick number 35. But what sticks out to you the most about the way he's been able to play? I think most would say the defensive side of the ball, but the offensive side is actually coming along uh, lately as well. What have you seen from Herb that has impressed you the most? Yeah, I think the, even the limited college basketball I watch, I knew he was going to come in and be an NBA-ready defender uh, right away. But a lot of guys are. And in order to stick, you have to be able to make shots. You have to be able to contribute something offensively. And, and it started with him, very simple, just kind of spot up, make, make your open jump shots, be a good cutter. You know, when you get that open lane, drive the ball, do, do the very easy things. Now I think he's shown he can do all that. What I think is fun is the Pelicans are starting to give him a little bit more on ball responsibility. I've seen uh, over the last handful of games that I've watched, he's running some pick and rolls. Now Uh, they're putting him in a position to uh, get that secondary attack off an initial action where it's, it's, it's not just how it's happening. It's actually designed to be that way. And he's starting to really show some playmaking chops. And that's that that's great because what you're always looking to do is fill out the roster with guys who can play a role but maybe do a little bit more uh, when asked of them and I think he's starting to show that he can uh, handle that increased offensive responsibility along with uh, continuing to be uh, already uh, an elite level wing defender. Keith we can tell that you've been paying attention that you've been watching the games which we always appreciate when we talk to people who you know cover the league nationally Um, I wanted to kind of shift to some of the overall NBA topics before I kind of bring it back to the Pelicans Um, I know a lot of people go to you for, you know, some of the reporting and some of the intel that you have as far as stuff around the league. And I was curious as a person in your position with what you do, um, this is always an interesting time of year in the NBA with the trade deadline coming up here now in less than two weeks, it seems like it kind of snuck up on us. Um, Is this a time of the season that you enjoy? Do you, do you um, look forward to this, this time of year in in your role? I I do. I, this is one of If you ask people who know me, they're going to say, I say five different times a year, my favorite uh, time of the season. Um, But I love this time of year because this is the last chance to do something big for this current season for these teams. I know people will mention the buyout market, but it's Mm -hmm. pretty rare that one of those buyout guys, it, it has a major impact going forward. So I really do love this time of year because I like seeing what the teams are doing. I like seeing which teams are pivoting in a direction, whether it's, Hey, we're going all in, we're going to make a run at this or all right, it's time to reset, rebuild where we're going to do this uh, or what teams are kind of looking at, Hey, we can do something right now that can help us, but it can also help us 
next year and the years beyond as well, because it's not just acquiring that, you know, 10-year veteran on an expiring contract for the next few months. So I, I, I love it. I, I think this is a lot of fun th- this time of year. I could do without the prevalence of the trade machines and people dropping 5 million uh, fake trades in my mentions on a daily basis, which I don't respond to anymore because if I do, it just leads to that's my day that is going to be filtering through that. So that part I don't love, but all the rest of it. Yeah. I absolutely love this part of the year. You mentioned teams pivoting. And I think one of the real interesting discussions I've heard a lot around the league and from different various media members nationally is the, the impact of the, the play-in tournament on the trade deadline. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on um, how much of an effect that has and, and will have. Um, I mean, this is really only the second season that we're in the mode of the top 10 teams where we're in specific format that we've had. Um, do you see it as something that has been negative in terms of the number of moves? And it could be something that kind of tamps that down as, in terms of the number of trades this year. Yeah, it definitely is having an impact. That that's for sure. We're we're seeing more teams in the race later than we've ever seen them in the past. Whereas you know, a team might if they were six, seven games out of the eighth seed come the trade deadline, they might say, forget it, pack it in, let's we're focused now on the future and what's to come. Versus I think these other now what happens is teams look at it and say, well, you know, we're only three games out of the play in. And if we get into the play in and we've got our guys back and we feel good about it, we can maybe make that run into the playoffs and, and go from there. And I think we've seen over the last, let's call it two decades or so teams don't prioritize seeding the way they used to. It's not, you know, this, you know, overall push of, I got to win every single game. And sometimes those teams that win every single regular season game outside of the warriors during that run, cause I was just crazy, but we look at it and say, yeah, that's cute. Show me in the playoffs. So I think the teams have realized, what am I going to push really super hard to win 65 regular season games for? If I lose a few, it's not the end of the world. It's mm-hmm. about being healthy and rested and ready to go in the postseason. But I do think the play-in has changed things considerably because you just don't have that uh, – instead of going in with seven, eight sellers, every trade deadline, we might be coming in with four or five teams that are looking to move, move in a different direction where they're more prioritizing the future. And that's, that's changed the dynamic for sure. You mentioned the the change in um, you mentioned prioritizing seating. And I think one of the things that I really like about the way that they set up the playing tournament, since it's been instituted um, as of last season is that there's, incentive to even once you get to say 10 which the pelicans goal is right now there once you get to 10 if there's enough time left in the season you're saying okay we now we want to get to nine and there's legitimate like tangible reason why you want to keep moving up that ladder which is you know i i really like that part of it and i mean obviously the other one and a half games out of 10th place in the West. Um, but how do you see the the race right now for, for that last spot? I mean, there's a handful of teams that are right there. And obviously Portland is the team that's in position, but they have a bunch of obstacles and adversity behind in their If, if that's one of their main goals is to end up landing that spot. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Cause I really do feel like we, you, you have to be honest with yourself about where um, the amount of games you have to make up, but also the amount of teams you have to climb. To, to get there. So that that's what I think gets missed. Sometimes we look at it and say, oh, a team's only four games out of whatever position you're chasing. 
but there might be three teams that they have to then get over. And it's like that, mm-hmm. that part is, you know, overlooked at times, but yeah, I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch because what we're kind of wondering about is, um, you know, and I don't want to get you guys in trouble here, but the Kings are the Kings. Where are they going? Right. It's, it's, we, that's a situation that I don't think anybody has a real great handle on. And then I think the, as you look at the Spurs, are the Spurs, are they interested in just getting to the play in or is this better to let's keep adding to our young mix here? Let's go. So if you're a team like the Pelicans who may say, you know, Hey, we, we, we want to get there because we feel like with this group healthy, we've been good. We've been competitive. We can actually make some noise. Are they trying to really push in? And then the trailblazers, they're in such an interesting spot because for a year, I don't know, umpteen, it feels like we're saying, is it time for the Blazers to break this thing up? Is it time for them to go a different direction? Uh, what's going to happen there? And if if any of those teams say, you know what, we're good. We don't need to be the 10th seed. This is not where we're looking to go. That could really change that dynamic and that that uh, you know chase to get into the playing. Because I think the teams ahead of them that are in the uh, 7, 8, 9, I think they're pretty well locked in. I don't think they're going to drop out or go anywhere at this point. So I think it's really fighting to get into that 10 spot. Last thing, I mean, you just broke down, I think, what could end up being a really good race. But I think right now, maybe the best race in the entire NBA is the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. I mean, I know that you're, you know, very familiar with that side of the league with covering the Celtics. Um, How do you see that race as far as, I mean, is there a team right now that you would say, I think that's the team that's going to be the favorite to get the one seed or is it just the kind of thing where it's like, I mean, it could be anybody's spot with how many teams are within a couple games. Yeah. I mean, that's the crazy thing. We're sitting here today, you know, six teams are separated by a couple games and that's, that's unbelievable. And I think a lot of this is going to come down to health probably like it generally does, but also who's prioritizing trying to get to the one seed. If you're the Milwaukee bucks, do you need to be the one seed? You just won the title and you, you probably know, we don't really need to, to push that. If you're the Miami Heat, you've got kind of an older roster there. I don't know that they're going to continue to push. And I, I will take, you know, every mea culpa I can. I keep it, kept expecting the Cavs to just kind of disappear here. That mm-hmm. was a cute story through the holidays and now see, and they're not going away. <laughs> they're they're going to hang in there and, and keep running that thing down. So I think it, if I had to pick one team to, to kind of grab it and go, I would pick the Bucks but almost just because I trust them the most of those teams. And I do think they know the value of, Hey, we, if we, we don't need to push to win every game, but if we can get there, we can get there, but it's going to be really fun. And and let's see what happens within the next couple of weeks. Does one of those teams make a big trade? And if they do, then, you know, that could really change the whole dynamic uh, of the top of that Eastern conference, but it's been a lot of fun watching that play out here over the, the last several months. And I think it's going to continue over the next couple of months till the playoffs start. Before I let you go here, of course, you do cover the Celtics for Celtics blog and the Pelicans most recently played them on MLK Day. I feel like for the Pelicans, it was one that got away. They got off to a great start, but the Celtics just kept uh, trickling away, trickling away at the deficit and ended up taking that momentum in the second half. What did you see from that game? Because I feel like for the Pelicans, it was kind of a missed opportunity, but for the Celtics, it just seemed like one of those games you can never count them out. And as soon as Jason Tatum got hot, uh, that was all she wrote. Yeah, you kind of hit it there in that one. And I think um, what we 
saw was it took Boston's offense a while to get going. Tatum got hot. Jalen Brown kind of kept them in it along with Dennis Schroeder. But once Tatum got going, then they got rolling. And that's been kind of a flip of the script for the Celtics this year. They've tended to start pretty well in games. And then they struggle down the stretch in these games. And that becomes a huge uh, issue, especially closing games has been a major problem for them. But I think they have now hit a point where they are – they're, they've found that offensive balance that, that they've been looking for. Uh, had, they're, they're as healthy as they've been all season long. Um, that's really important. So as long as they – I know this sounds like a cliche, but as long as they play the right way and they, they kind of keep the ball moving, they defend, they, they, they do their things there – they're a really good, tough team. I mean, they're an elite defensive team. They're one of the better defenses in the NBA. It's offensively where they, they tend to get into trouble. But I, I think they're they're finally starting to turn that corner and figure that out. But I've also felt that way about four or five different other times this year, too, and it's never quite come to fruition. When we talk about uh, the Celtics and where they are in the standings, eighth right now, a couple games over 500, and we talk about the trade deadline. Where do you think they stand as far as what they might do? It's kind of an interesting mix with this team. Uh, they got that core together, but you know they're within distance of potentially moving up and seeding. Are they a team that maybe makes a minor move just to try to see what they have? Do they stay pat, or what's kind of the direction you think the Boston Celtics might go heading into the deadline? Yeah, I think these are a couple important weeks for them. If they can, they, they've been playing pretty well recently. And if they can keep that going and continue to win a bunch of games as they head into the trade deadline, I think that changes their calculus and maybe says, hey, let's look to add something. Let's let's go get somebody to really aid, you know, in a push to get into that top six maybe. Or, hey, even if we got to go through the play we feel pretty good against these, these teams anyway. We feel like we can beat them. So now if they continue – two weeks from now it continues to be win one lose one win one lose one then i think what you're going to see is them kind of do a deal where it becomes hey let's look at what can we get for dennis schroeder he may not be part of the long term here what could we do for uh some of these guys who they they they're probably only here for the next year or so well what does that look like because they try to set themselves up for the future because they've they've made it pretty clear i think uh, without coming out directly and saying it they're not trading Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. That's not happening. They're going to keep those two guys together. And then it becomes, how do we continue to build the right roster around them to uh, lift them, accentuate them and, and help us. So I think they're going to be busy. Uh, one thing I feel very, very confident about is they're going to, they already did one salary shedding deal to avoid the luxury tax. I think we're going to get at least one more of those as we go. And we'll see where that ultimately uh, leaves them. That's that. Now that doesn't excite anybody, right? Nobody gets all fired up over, Hey, great job. You avoided the tax, but that can pay off down the line when, you know, Brad Stevens turns to ownership and says, Hey, remember when I saved you all that money a couple of years ago, I, you know, like to spend a little bit of it now. And that's, you know, hopefully the way that'll work. All right, should be interesting to see how this goes. And Saturday night should be another fun one between the Pelicans and the Celtics. Both teams actually in action tonight. Celtics are in Atlanta to take on the Hawks. Pelicans, of course, taking on the Nuggets tonight. That's Keith Smith. You can follow him on Twitter at KeithSmithNBA, contributor to the front office show, and, of course, Celtics blog as well. Does a great job uh, covering all things NBA um, for the league. All right, Keith, I appreciate the time. Uh, best of luck, and we'll uh, talk to you along the way. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This up there from Keith Smith, of course, Jim Mike Knopfler, still here with us as we we're about to wrap up the show as the Pelicans begin a home-home back-to-back again tonight against the Nuggets, tomorrow night against the Boston Celtics. And Jim, I feel like having a home back-to-back can suit the Pelicans well, considering uh, 
how well they've been playing at home in these last 10 games. Yeah, they have. I mean, I know we talked about, you know, earlier in the season or maybe even before the season that one of the goals was to make the Smoothie King Center a place that other teams don't want to play along with, you know, the Pelicans in general being a team that you don't want to face. And I, I feel like we've seen that lately, both at home and on the road. The Philly game was a good example of um, making things very difficult for the other team, despite the shorthanded nature of the Pelicans. Um, that was, I don't know, maybe one of the best, even though the Pelicans didn't get a win, that was one of the best examples I've seen of the mentality of, you know, you come in tonight and think it's going to be easy think that you're going to be able to just walk in and get a win and it's not going to be the case that the Sixers had to really fight for everything but in terms of the home success that the Pelicans have had they're eight and two in their last 10 games the only losses during that stretch were Phoenix which I think the Suns have established themselves as the best team in the league right now I don't think that there's any way you could argue that they're not sure. Utah has dropped off a little bit lately but still one of the best teams in the west and a team that probably is going to at least end up with a top four seed so um New Orleans has been do, just doing really well and I at home. And I feel like if they can continue this, obviously this weekend, but going forward over the rest of the season, they have a really good chance to keep getting closer to 500, which I think ultimately is, is a big key. Um, they can't control what Portland does and some of the other teams that are in the Western conference race for the playing tournament, other than when they play them head to head and they don't play, they don't play the trailblazers for a while. It's not till I think the end of March for that to happen. So if they can, can if they can continue to get wins at this rate, I mean, it might even be unrealistic to think that they're going to win eight out of ten at home, or you know, over stretches from here until April. But I mean, it's it's been a big reason I think why they've been able to rebound a ton from the beginning of the season. That eight and two record also is the fifth best winning percentage in the NBA at home since December tenth, which was two days after the last time they played Denver. So kind of coming full circle right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like we talked about this for the first set of back-to-backs as the Pelicans will now begin a tough stretch of four games in five days. Very rare still to have some of these stretches around the NBA, but due to the Philly postponement, that's where we are tonight. And I feel like maybe, Jim, for me, this is the realistic goal. And you don't want to sell yourself short, but I feel like splitting both back-to-backs is at minimum the goal for these next four games. So obviously getting two at home would certainly be nice. It alleviates a little bit of pressure when you get on the road, but I feel like with the teams that are coming in, Denver and Boston, and then he talked about Cleveland, that's the first game of the back-to-back on the road on Monday and Tuesday, the second one Detroit. I feel like the way teams are starting to slide in that Western Conference, even just splitting might get the job done just before you can kind of uh, open up the schedule a little bit. Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say. I mean, we, we've we seen the way that Cleveland has looked lately where, I mean, they just destroyed Milwaukee the other night, and I'm super impressed with the Cavs. I mean – Keith mentioned when we were speaking with him how a lot of people, including him, thought that they would drop off at a certain point. I mean, no one thought that they would be in the position that they're in right now when the season started. So in terms of these next four games for the Pelicans, I I think it's a very – I mean, we know Detroit is really struggling, but the next three teams that the Pelicans have on their schedule, it's a to me it's a very interesting stretch of games because I feel like um, Denver has started to play better lately. Um, they've been good all season, or at least decent all season, but it seems like lately they're starting to pick it up a little bit. Boston, um, I could have asked this to Keith and I meant to, but didn't end up putting it on my list. But I wanted to ask him which Boston team is going to show up on Saturday, if he could give us a hint, because really yeah. that's been the way that the Celtics have been all year is you just don't know. 
So, um, and then the game Monday at Cleveland, I think to start a stretch of four games on the road is, is pretty tough. So I'm really, I'm really interested to see how they do. But like you said, um, if you can pick up a couple wins, I think you can keep uh, looking at the, at least you and I will keep looking at the uh, Western Conference standings and, and uh, hopefully keep making a dent in that, that deficit that's gotten pretty narrow behind Portland. We'll get there with Todd. I know we will. We just got to string some wins together. And like I said, I don't want to sell this team short because they're very capable of putting together back-to-back wins. It's just so hard to win, sweep a back-to-back. And I think the Pelicans are 1-6 or 1-7 on the second night of a back-to-back. Yeah. But I feel like most teams are. It's not like it's something that it's just the Pelicans' problem. It's a problem in the NBA just because it's so hard. But I guess the good thing about this one is the Celtics are also on the back-to-back. They also have to travel after Plants game. So there'll be a little bit of advantage of the Pelicans being in their own beds and not traveling. I feel like is a huge thing when it comes to back-to-backs. If you don't have to travel, I feel like that at least alleviates some of the disadvantage you have. Definitely. And, you know, I always like to say that the players and the coaches and the people directly involved on the court have to take things one game at a time, but you and I don't yep, because exactly. we don't have any factor into the uh, outcome of the games. So I, from that standpoint, I do think that, um, this it'll be a good it'll be a good test. I mean, if they can get the win tonight against Denver, and then to be able to, like you said, do better in the second game of back to back. Also, I think a lot of the back to backs, just the way the schedule has been laid out, which has been weird in a lot of ways. A bunch of those were in October and November when the Pelicans obviously were a totally different team. So, I'm curious to see if they can keep showing progress. Um, and if they can get both of these wins and be 10 and two in the last 12 home games, that'd be even better. Absolutely. That's Jim Iconoff for pelicans.com. You can hear him on our post game show tonight after the ball game and also read his work on pelicans.com. The pan zero post game wrap up. We'll have another show for you on Monday before Pelicans and Cavs. And then again, it's the second game of a back-to-back on Tuesday against the Detroit Pistons. But make sure you head out to the Smoothie King Center tonight and tomorrow. Nuggets tonight at 7 p.m. Celtics tomorrow at 6 p.m. It was originally 5, but due to the back-to-back now, a 6 p.m. start tomorrow here in New Orleans. Jim, I appreciate the time. Let's get two wins, all right? No, let's not settle for the split. Let's get both of them. I'm, I'm going to get greedy. Let's, let's do it. All right. For Jim and Keith Smith, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Seaton.